0: Welcome to the number one South Asian radio station in North America, Ruckus Avenue Radio. I'm a doctor, a father, an American, an Indian. I've had conversations about life from every angle. And as I've navigated the South Asian experience, I share stories of people and their purpose. And what they're saying over and over again is, trust me, I know what I'm doing. I'm Abhay Dandekar, and on this episode of Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing, join me for a conversation with Snigd Hasur, the founder and CEO of The Juggernaut. Stay tuned. You know, like for many freshmen in college, when I arrived at Berkeley, it was likely the first time that I truly considered an expanse of the world around me that I didn't fully realize at home. And it was also a lab for exploring concepts of self-identity that integrated my own backstory of being a South Asian American with the academics of various South Asian studies classes and kind of the future prospective life experiences of an emerging adult living in several micro and macro cultures. And as i reflect on it now basically we as south asians have a messy and equally beautiful existence so how does one in effect present storytelling and the captured narrative of this ongoing experience enter snigdha sur the founder and ceo of the juggernaut a publication and community that presents smart takes and stories about south asia and south asians snigdha grew up in the bronx and in queens went to Harvard and Yale, and has worked and lived in both Mumbai and New York. She's also a Bollywood enthusiast who can speak Bengali and Mandarin. We caught up recently, and we talked about the representation of the diaspora, the philosophy behind the juggernaut, and how she navigated there. And we started our conversation with the common joy that we both share, having names that involve aspirated consonants You're one of the few guests I've ever had on who's got an aspirated consonant in your name. So Abhay is not, I'm not uh, alone in my quest uh, to have my name correctly pronounced. And having someone like Snigdha here is very reassuring. So first off, thank you for that.
1: Oh man, I was like, oh my God, I I sometimes have those moments when you know, you know how to spell your own name and you know how to pronounce your own name. But you have those moments that you're like, am I going to mess this up for everybody else who's named <laughs> the same name? And so I, I also had that moment I'm like, well, oh, I've heard it. Okay, I hope that's right. And like, I just won't proceed for it.
0: <laughs> Yeah, and and you know it's it's funny because I think the the whole idea idea of identity being so tagged, um, you know we we talk about this in pediatrics where babies, you know, by the time they're about a year old, they they recognize their name, and you know it's their parents who are more than likely calling their name out, and you know when you hear someone pronounce your name one way or the other, right? Whether they're pronouncing it correctly, say how your family or friends would, or, or perhaps struggling with that I mean I feel like there's sort of a signal flare especially with all that variance that comes up I mean does does the pronunciation of your name or when someone calls you does it conjure up a lot of joy because there's some connection to your roots or perhaps does it you know become a weight or like is there some doldrums to that when someone can't necessarily pronounce your name right I mean is there is there any of that that you struggle with
1: Uh, what an interesting question I would say it's usually um, depending on the context it's usually a little bit of anxiety because what usually happens in new situations or new rooms when there's a lot of people congregating whether of south asian descent or not south asian descent and people start asking me my name i always have this anxiety is that they're going to get stuck on it for three to five minutes and then in all of that kind of confusion i'll ask them for their name and my biggest fear is that i won't remember their name because they've spent three to five minutes of the, you know, of the seven minute conversation in my name and I'll have two minutes for theirs. And then I'll be the really bad person who doesn't know their name. That's what I really fear the most. So growing up, I think in elementary school, I would get a whole multitude of nicknames, everything from, I will tell you all of them, some of them, Sniggles to Snickers to literally Snig Diggity Doo Dog. I'm going to admit that, that it actually, um, I would have anxiety over my name, especially that first day of class in elementary or middle school or high school, right? Because these kids didn't know you and the teachers, the teacher, the homeroom teacher, whoever is the first teacher of that day is setting the tone for the rest of the day and the rest of your kids. And so I did have a lot of anxiety growing up. But then as I've gotten older, I've think been much more laissez-faire about it and much more nervous about, can I, did I get that other person's name right? Because I didn't get a chance to spend time on it.
0: Well, it's funny that you say that the anxiety is is sort of bidirectional, right? Like it's there's the anxiety behind whether somebody is pronouncing your name and whether they have the empathy or the relatability um, to to now share your name as an experience, but then also the the prospect of either not remembering or or not being able to pronounce someone else's name, and it kind of speaks a lot to perhaps how you relate to others and is is that sort of is the joy of when someone does pronounce your name right or they can actually relate to that is is there some um relatability or or great kind of magic to that when you meet somebody who really gets it
1: definitely i still remember probably to this day when certain people have pronounced my name right perfectly in the first go i'm not trying to drop names but i had the honor of interviewing Amitabh Kosh and things to remember about him is not only is he a great writer but he's a huge language nerd. He's a, like he has collected dictionaries, like if you read his novels, he truly goes into the etymology of several South Asian words like chini, which, you know, sounds like chini for sugar because roots in China actually to get that refined white sugar. And when I met him, he said my name to me, you know, he said, you know, Snigdha or something like that. He said it in such a beautiful way. And I was, I had to take a step back. I was like, oh my goodness, I've never been called this in such a lovely way by anybody. And the context for that is my parents don't even call me by my first name because I am Bengali. And so we have a lot of pet names and we were bandying this before, but you know, there are actually several Bengalis who only exclusively go by their pet names like Chumpaleri whose real name is Nalanjana um, and things like that and Amitav also pointed that out to me. So I think that there is definitely a joy for sure when you meet somebody. I mean you also pulled this off when you first met me and you took a stab at it and it was great and I was very impressed. So I'll probably remember you for doing that too.
0: But you know, that that idea where it really does put a stamp on kind of that relationship to begin with, is, is there, are there elements of your own journey and upbringing that kind of now relate back to what you've embarked upon with the juggernaut? Meaning as your work has um, is evolving and the juggernaut is evolving, is the aim now to sort of take elements of Of those experiences for you either growing up or professionally um, to now apply that stamp um, to others?
1: Very interesting question. I would say that at the end of the day, not at the end of the day, but mostly when we think about the mission of the juggernaut, it's really to center South Asian stories with what I call a brown gaze. So that's really important because You know, we've grown up with our own histories, each and every one of us. And often when we go back to the, let's say, quote unquote, mainstream world, like whenever we go to school, if we go to public school or, you know, a a gathering of school, if we're not homeschooled, et cetera, we start engaging with other histories. And sometimes they don't match our understanding of our own. And I've always been fascinated with that dichotomy. And I think the juggernaut is trying to, in a little bit, chip away at that. Because you know, you're, at home, I learned of all the secret histories of Bollywood and my family, we would watch one Hollywood and one Bollywood movie nearly every single weekend growing up. And so I would never be able to talk about the Bollywood stuff in public with my friends because most people didn't know what the hell I was talking about. I was like the only person who was such a Bollywood nerd. And now with the internet with social media, with people being more proud of tapping into their various histories, you see that there's a space for that. Like I can tweet about what i'm watching for bollywood and i'll actually have people engaging with me on it and i could never envision this world when i was let's say you know three-year-old me and i think that's what we're really chipping at which is how do we bring all of these gazes to the mainstream right not just you know a very eurocentric western centric Greece, because that's what we grew up with. We all went to school well, many of us went to school here and grew up with American textbooks. Many of our subscribers did as well, which means that we missed out on some of these histories and missed out on some of these stories. So we always take any phenomenon and we think about it and we're like, wait, what's the juggernaut version of this story? Mm. And what's not being told? And I think that adds a very interesting spin on it a very specific example is you know recently with the Georgia elections the Georgia Senate runoffs a lot of people a lot of mainstream news like the New York Times or the Washington Post were really reporting the Asian American vote and everyone loves reporting on the Asian American vote and the thing is when you really think about it this is always true of any group any group is much more diverse and then sometimes much more homogenous than you think it is right right and so similarly we were like, okay, we know we want to know about the Asian American vote, but I specifically also want to know about the Brown vote because the South Asian vote specifically is one of the most reliably Democratic votes after Mm. the Black vote.
0: Sure. And and, I mean, with that same uh, idea of homogeneity versus um, coalitions, so to speak, um, how, how well do you think the juggernaut um, and that same ethos represents the diaspora right now? I mean, there's a lot of diversity in in the South Asian community. I mean, there, certainly whether it's in the electorate and how they vote versus, um, you know, uh, the economy of the South Asian community. I mean, what makes the juggernaut, or for that matter, your own experiences sort of poised to reflect that diversity now?
1: Yes. I mean, the thing is that being able to re- and reflect the diversity of a group is always going to be an internal um, self-improvement game. You're never, ever, ever at any single point going to be able to say, hey, I truly re- represent the diversity of South a- the South Asian diaspora. Sure. And I would never claim to do that. Like that would be just, I would say, uh, not very effective because that's not right. Rather, as a newsroom, we always ask ourselves, how do we keep addressing the diversity opinions. And that's a very different question to solve. So whenever we're thinking about it, so, you know, recently there was an incident in Pakistan where Hazara coal miners were shot and killed basically by the Islamic State. And so our editors were thinking, well, how do we get somebody from the Hazara community to report on this for the juggernaut? So do you see how that's a very different question? It's not... Are we actually representing the entire diversity because i think that's an impossible problem there's no way you could perfectly represent the diversity of the population but you can always be better in terms of how you approach any story do we have the right sources do we have sources that are across socioeconomic class across gender across age across ethnicity across south asian subgroup across south asian sub religion and religion like it can go on forever you know as one of the most controversial men ever, Lord Mountbatten once said about India, it's like as diverse as a continent. It's not really a country. And so yeah. similarly, I think we're not set out to doing that, pro- solving that problem. We do really believe in making sure that we're addressing every single, every single article as we possibly can, all of those sides. And we won't always be perfect. I will never, I'll be the first one to say that, but sure. we can always keep getting better.
0: Well, and I think, you know, the, the idea, I like how you put that, that you're sort of facilitating um, the diversities or the components of that diversity to actually shine, right? So you, so bringing elements of that to tell their story rather than trying to represent it um, sounds like, a, a, again, part of the, the ongoing and iterative sort of improvement process. You mentioned the the brown gaze um, that uh, you know or the lens that that we're trying to you know understand a little bit better and and do you think that you know even in your uh, personal Experiences has that been evolving more and more. I mean, the last several years, we've seen sort of an explosion of uh, representation, whether it's in media or business or um, politics Um, is, is this a continuing groundswell is this a direct change in your even in your own experiences, um, you know, since you were a child.
1: Yes and no, I would say. So I think there's representation and there's also an aspiration, I would say, Mm. to keep learning more. So I'm not one of those people that's like, let's just have representation for representation's sake. I always ask why. You know, growing up, I probably, when I was younger, you know, I, I was born in India, moved to America when I was three. Growing up, I probably did not know the biases my textbooks had. That was an awareness that grew later in life when I went to college. And I actually majored in economics and South Asian studies. And many people don't know that. They're like, why is this diaspora kid doing this south asian publication what does she know i mean of course people in the community level so putting down each other which is great but they're like what does she know i've had that happen in twitter trolls like why is this why is this person doing this and the thing is when i majored in south asian studies i read a lot i read a lot and i studied a lot and i learned from some of the best and i um got to kind of relearn history it was an interesting history economics politics lesson culture lesson where i actually studied bollywood for several years i wrote an entire 125 page paper on it I interviewed people in the industry um So again, I turned a lot of my passions into, I would say, an an education. So, you know, when I talk about Bollywood, I'm not just joking about it often. Often there's like layers and layers of understanding beneath it. Or when we're reporting on a story, you know, many people also don't know that our reporting team has like at least a collective over 30 years of experience, if not more, on South Asian studies and reporting on South Asia. That's where the brown gaze comes from because what we've noticed is mainstream media usually likes reducing certain countries to certain stereotypes and you can come along and predict them with me, right? Okay. Bottle of is usually about climate change more recently about the rohingya crisis these are all important things but one country can never be reduced to two things we can all agree pakistan is usually reduced to terrorism you know india is reduced to recently more recently the bjp or hindutva uh sri lanka is reduced to tourism more recently you know with the rajapaksas about you know the genocide of tamils basically uh you have um afghanistan reduced to the u.s afghan war and yeah. when we say the brown gaze, we, we say, well, how do we make these countries multifaceted again? Because you can have an India that has Hindutva, but you can also have an India, you can't understand the rise of Hindutva and the rise of the BJP without understanding the rise and the fall of the Congress party, which is an article we published last week. Sure. We got a lot of flack for that. They said, oh my God, you guys are pro-Hindutva. And I'm like, no, we're not. We're not like." We're, we're highlighting the history that people are missing in the last five years to try to explain what's going on and what you're seeing in front of your eyes that most Western media really isn't talking about.
0: Let me ask you this. I mean, you know, you mentioned the, um, the reductionism perhaps of trying to create taglines and, um, you know, especially in an uh, attention deficited world, that can be a, a struggle. And yet, is it, um, is it easier in some ways to not necessarily provide that reduction, but can can you also then uh, unearth or, or unpack now the extra storytelling that has to go behind it, right? So you, you mentioned sort of like, you know, when we, when we think about these, they're always balancing metrics. So, you know, the idea behind growing a story has to come with some element of, well, where did the loss come from? Um, so uh, in, in that case, I mean, is it simple or fair to, um, you know, bring out, a question like, "Well, where do the manhole covers in in New York come from?" And are you? By is there an, a risk, in fact, of of even creating more reduction by actually unearthing some of these nuanced storytelling elements?
1: Yeah, I mean, are you? I think what you're trying to say or ask, I think, is like, doesn't every single story, by definition, have some form of reductionism? So?
0: Right. Right.
1: And I think that's right. Yes. At, by definition, an article is an article. Like when you even think about the word article, it represents a part of something. And an article, by definition, is trying to tell you a very sharp story as quickly as possible, often from anywhere from 300 words to in long form, you know, 5,000 words, right? But that's it. It's an article. It's not a book. It's not a textbook. It's not the definitive history. It's not the definitive tome and so i think that's fair i think even an article is there will be some liberties there there will be some reductionism but sure. at the same time every i think the job of an article is to open up a line of questioning
0: mm-hmm. well and, and i mean in that way is is the mission to present intellectual discussion from within the diaspora or to, you know, to then therefore contribute even further or to create the content that actually drives that discussion? Is there a balance between the two or are they just integrated constantly?
1: I would say like, I would, I mean, the mission is still the same, which is, hey, we are centering South Asian stories with the brown gaze. And then in terms of the conversations they start, that is one level of engagement we measure. Yes, it's starting a conversation, but, sometimes what you think are innocuous stories lead to a lot of engagement that's not necessarily conducive to conversations yeah Uh, we published a story on why it's so common to see hindu and jewish couples in america and truly this was a fact-based um uh reporting mission where we pulled a lot of data from pew research on hindu on hinduism people who practice hinduism in america and people who practice judaism in america we then supported it with qualitative evidence, with lots of reporting from Hindu-Jewish couples. And for some reason, in our comment section, it turned into an entire hate fest, frankly. Yeah. And we had turn comments because it was getting really ugly. Yeah. And we're like, that's not the kind of conversation we were at all envisioning was going to happen from this article. Rather, we were hoping this was going to open up a conversation about what are the, what are the bonds that tie us together, even if we come from yeah. vastly different religious communities.
0: Well, what parts now of the South Asian story are are really currently untold. I mean, what are the the kind of larger questions that are out there that that honestly the in the media or in, in any mainstream media um, version of it uh, is currently not being told.
1: Yeah, I mean, frankly, I would say all of them, right? I mean, that's why I think we exist. It's like we we as a editorial team are never in want of new ideas. Our bottleneck is always how do we get the people or the freelancers or the processes or the time to execute all of them. That's literally our bottleneck. We're never short of ideas. We've never been in in a shortage of ideas. And I think that's such a miraculous thing. That's when I actually knew that I had close to product market fit is when I was walking around and talking to journalists, they'd be like, well, yeah, here's one idea. Here's another idea. I've gotten rejected by all these publications already. Would you guys run it? And I would be listening to some of their pitches and I'd be like, why would somebody, reject this um i won't name names because you know i want to protect them but somebody once told me and pitched me hey i got an interview with Amiga budget but this big publication said they didn't want to run it would you be interested in running it and i was like yes that person ended up not following up but can you imagine a mainstream publication like can you imagine any brown person being like, I don't want to read an interview with Amitabh Bachchan. Like, yeah. no, <laughs> like, we'd be like, yes, please give this to us. Like, he is a huge icon. Even if you are a mainstream publication, you should be interested in this guy. He's like, you know, one of the longest running Bollywood stars who has like fans all over. And so that's kind of incredible to me, the short sightedness.
0: Wouldn't you, and, and with that same um, you know, sentiment, right? So, like, why wouldn't anybody want to know about Amitabh Bachchan or why wouldn't anybody be curious about this? Um, you know, the uh, idea that information or storytelling is, in fact, so democratized now, right? I mean, you can, you, you can capture this and, and discover it within seconds um, with great access to all of this. What gives people the trust? in in the effort or the contributions of the juggernaut as compared to where else they might be able to find a, a great interview with Amitabh Bachchan?
1: Yes, I think, frankly, I would think that they should trust any respectable news organization that has ethical standards, right? So I would not just put myself on here. If for some reason I'll make this up, like uh, um, the Washington Post ran an interview with Amitabh Bachchan. They should also read that there. But here's the here's the twist. I think first try to find organizations that you can trust that have great editorial standards and high editorial standards, we do that. But then second, I've often found that who are you, again, going back to why we have a brown gaze, who are you editing for? Mm. Let me paint you a picture. Let's say um, you go into, I'll pick, I'll pick um, this example because you know I am of Indian descent. Let's say you go into an Indian restaurant you, you know that when an Indian restaurant is catering to a Western palate versus when an Indian restaurant is catering to an Indian palate, you just know, based on right. the menu, based on the items. But guess what, people have gotten so savvy that even non-Indians would rather go to the restaurant that their Indian friends love than just go to the restaurant that's for themselves. Sure. So similarly, yeah. you look at editorial practices, Yes, you can have an interview with Amitabh Bachchan in Washington Post, but is it gonna go really deep? Or is it going to spend its first half life trying to convince you why you should care about Amitabh Bachchan at all? Mm. We skip that entire part. We like, we'll go directly into the interview because we're like, you should obviously already care. And that's, that's what's different because I have read the same exact review of let's say Indian matchmaking on let's say the New York Times and the Washington Post and the Juggernaut. And you will see the reviews are very different we can get to the chase and we can go deep really quickly because we don't we're not even trying to make you care yet
0: well it's, an, it's almost like you're taking advantage of of the fast pass effect right the idea here is is that listen the people who are interested and the ones who are really asking the second or the third question have already asked the first question or they've already experienced it in some ways that that sounds like particularly the advantage of um reading material in the the juggernaut is going to be that, like, you know, get ready to now be even more curious after that second, third question, not just asking the first one.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah.
0: One thing that always fascinates me about sort of digital storytelling is used to be, um, you know, such that storytelling was framed and captured kind of by some element of anticipation, right? Now that there's, you know, really an immediacy um, to finding, you know, material, how do you separate out the spectacular or even sort of add some elements of anticipation into the storytelling to make the very good stuff even quite spectacular? Is, is there an art to that as you are sort of curating this storytelling in the juggernaut?
1: So, I mean, I think most editors would have similar answers, but I think at the end of the day, we've always boiled it down to two things. One is timeliness and second is controversy. So the stories that have always gotten, not always, but often gotten a lot of engagement, a lot of reshares, a lot of conversation are either very, very timely. So we're entering into the hotbed of active discussion or are somehow controversial.
0: And is the con- is there a balance sometimes between um, producing uh, controversy, or for that matter, the surprise of whether controversy um, borders even on inspiration.
1: Here's the thing: I will say, as an editorial team, we're not always chasing controversy or timeliness. I know, I know. Like, right. it's so funny because we have our own ethical practices. So yes, we will. We will obviously usually chase timeliness over controversy because being timely is extremely important, especially in certain sectors like politics. Yeah. Even publishing the results of the Georgia elections a day late, we can see the difference in terms of traffic and newsworthiness, right? Because we're not adding as much value, it's just by definition. In terms of controversy, like there is a model where you just keep on chasing the controversy. Oh, this person got into a fight, like then you become more of a tabloid, right? So the way we elevate controversy, so we wrote this amazing article, not we, but specifically one of our staff reporters, Michaela Stone Cross wrote this amazing article about the suicide of Sushant Singh Rajput, a Bollywood star and what she did was she waited a little bit before the controversy was really actively happening and she wrote it in a way that it was like an analysis of what all this implied about south asian society all the onlookers the non-south asian society politics media all of that and it was such a good article frankly that i've never read anything quite like it when i was looking at that specific controversy anywhere else it really felt like a juggernaut article because not only did we get you in deep We actually showed you and zoomed out and showed you the so what in a way that nobody else was kind of weaving or threading that needle. And I Mm -hmm. think that's what really makes it special to your point. How do you make magic? You make magic by taking something and pointing out what others might not have noticed.
0: Let me ask you this, Singha, and we only have a few minutes left, but, um, you know, is you you very elegantly described the Juggernaut's mission and some of the Uh, nuances behind, you know, finding that magic, but um, is the Juggernaut's mission now your own mission or do you have designs on creating something, you know, bigger, brighter? What's the future hold for you?
1: Yes. Well, I actually have my own personal mission statement that actually has defined a lot of my inflection points in life. And I think the Juggernaut falls within that. So my personal mission statement is I've always wanted to diversify and globalize the content I consume. And others consume and that's defined me for a really long time ever since i figured that out for myself when i was an undergrad in college and some of the things i did underneath that personal mission statement like i started yale's first student-run south asian film festival which was really fun Um, i ended up living for a year in mumbai india in bombay as i call it but other people say mumbai um in Bombay, India, and I did that because I was just so fascinated with the world of media and I wanted to be there on the ground. Um, I started The Dyernaut because I saw a huge space for myself. Like I was like, I was craving this kind of reporting and you know, I'm, a, I'm an avid reader. I already subscribed to the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, the Netflix, the whole shebang. And I couldn't find this stuff. And I was like, well, if I can't find this stuff, shouldn't there be other people like me who can't find this stuff? Right. And so that's kind of how it started. And so look, my mission in life, I'll keep building the juggernaut for as long as I possibly can. When it's time, I'll hand over the reins. That's, that's my goal. And Apart from that, anything I do in the future will probably be underneath that personal mission statement. So I can't tell you now, but, you know, my eyes are solely set on the juggernaut. But if anything falls under that, I am always game.
0: Well, that, that's a game well played. think um, that's been so great to catch up with you. And thank you so much for joining us. I hope you'll come back and join us again.
1: Thank you Abbe, for having me. And thanks for asking all these insightful questions. Really fun.
0: Ruckus Avenue Radio.